0: When you know the child born in Bethlehem town is the Son of God who once came down from heaven above so that he might be the Savior who from all sin set free. This is Christmas. When you let the shadow of Calvary fall on him who lies in the innkeeper's stall. When you trust him and you sincerely believe that through his death he'll pardon receive. This is Christmas. When you believe that he rose from the grave, that he, all men from death, might save. When you look to him at God's right hand to bring you to heaven's Beulah land. This is Christmas. When you pass your thoughts in his holy will and hand in hand with him climb life's hill. Then you know that he forever will be your savior through time and eternity. This is Christmas. That's
1: great. Lord, we come to you this morning. Father, we are moved by the beauty of this season. Families coming together, loved ones sharing in joys and sorrows. Lord, the joy of watching children open presents, excitement, the lights, the beauty, the colors, Lord, we are so grateful that even if all of that was stripped away, (coughs) Lord, we could have true joy in our hearts because Christ has come. Lord, he laid his glories, the glories of heaven aside. That was rightly his. And Lord, he humbled himself and became one of us. And was not born in a, in a in a wonderful safe hospital situation, but the Lord was born in a smelly stall in a barn. And was first visited by shepherds, the lowest of the low. And you revealed your that birth to those lowest of low. And Lord, we are those lowest of low we did not deserve what you have gifted us. Lord, it is our sin that we deserve to pay for and you knew we couldn't. And Father, we are so grateful that Christ came perfect, sinless, and without fault that every day he walked this earth And yet, Lord, he willingly went to the cross to pay a debt we could not pay. That he paid the price by dying a horrible death, though he deserved it not. And Lord, when he spoke, it is finished. It was finished. The payment for our sin, for our guilt, was completely paid for. And Lord, you sealed that transaction by raising him from the dead. And Lord, he stands before you on our behalf and says, Lord, though they are guilty, I have paid their debt. For this reason, we can come this morning and rejoice that it is Christmas. Lord, use this for your purpose, use this for your glory, and Father, for no other reason but that you may be praised and glorified in this service and in the week that lies ahead, the year that lies ahead, until you come and take us home. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, and amen. Amen.
2: We invite you to stand now as we continue. We'd like to invite the Kennedy family up to in, to light our fifth Advent candle. Today we light the Christ candle, the candle of the promise. We're able to do this now looking backwards to the first candle, the rejoice candle, the second, the delight candle, the third, the sing for joy, and the fourth, the persevere candle. And now we celebrate the promise fulfilled.
1: we reading from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sp- sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God.
2: Thank you. Let's sing now Good Christian Men Rejoice.
4: Let it be to me according to your word.
3: And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinerius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judah, or, sorry, Judea, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem And in in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel
0: said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For under you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger.
3: And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying,
4: Glory to God in the highest highest, and and on on earth peace among among those with whom he is pleased.
2: Lord God Father I love how your servant and prophet Jeremiah often prayed to you in wonderment Father in submission uh, Lord in expectation ah Lord God it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm nothing is too hard for you so, Father, we come together as a family to say amen. Nothing is too hard for you. Father, looking at our sin and being able to say that that is not too hard for you. Looking at our suffering, Father, at our willfulness. But, Father, also at our joy in the Holy Spirit dwelling in us that allows us to truly praise you, to worship you, and to give you all the glory and honor on this day. Father, we lift up our family members who are suffering. We ask your hand on Anne and the whole Hunter family. Father, and all of those here in our family, near and also far away, Father, who can't be here, that you would rest your hand upon them. And today especially to give them peace in the knowledge that nothing is too hard for you. Father, we lift up all of our friends and family worshiping together in different places around this town and around our nation. Father, and today, as the whole world celebrates you, Father, we join them in saying, thank you, Lord, you are good. Nothing is too hard for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated.
5: Well, good morning, EBC, and Merry Christmas. It is such a joy to be here with God's people. This special morning, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. I also want to extend a very warm welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. Uh, We are honored to have you with us. And earlier in the week, I posted a message on Facebook introducing myself to the community, and I extended an offer of a book uh, that I would love to gift to you uh, if you are a visitor this morning and are here because of that post. Or in general, if you are visiting this morning and would like a free book, please come see me uh, after the service. I'll be standing right down here, and I've got them uh, right here beside me. Uh, Additionally, we do have a little gift notepad uh, out by the front door as a thank you for visiting uh, with us. And there's an information card that you can fill out in there. Uh, We would love the opportunity to reach out and follow up uh, with you. Also, every Sunday after the service, we uh, uh, try to have a little time of fellowship today included, uh, and you are welcome to stay and enjoy some coffee and pastries with us. And just a quick thanks to uh, everyone um, uh, who has given us Christmas cards. Uh, we love Christmas cards and have a big display uh, of them in our living room, so thank you. And uh, if I seem a little extra sparkly this morning, uh, thank you for all the glittery Christmas cards. Um, uh, Glitter is not part of my skincare routine, just so you know. And with that, I now invite you to open your copy of God's Word with me and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And if you're using a pew Bible, uh, which can be located in the seat in front of you, or in one of the seats in front of you, uh, you can turn to page 680, 680. And again, if you are a visitor this morning and you don't own a Bible, uh, please feel free to keep one of those pew Bibles as an extra gift uh, for you. Isaiah chapter 9. And this morning I want to bring a message to you which I have entitled, The True Miracle of Christmas. The True Miracle of Christmas. And our main text for this morning will simply consist of a small portion of verse 6. So let us now begin by reading that portion, which will be our main focus this morning in verse 6, where God's inerrant, infallible, and sufficient word which he has spoken to us here through the pen of the prophet Isaiah, reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Let's pray. And Father, it is a joy, Lord, a joy to celebrate this day, Such an important day for us who are called, by the name of your Son, Christians. Father, a day where we celebrate the greatest gift of all. The gift of salvation as we remember the birth of he who brought that salvation to us. And so, Father, we've gathered to worship you this morning we pray that this worship would be acceptable in your sight, pleasing to you. And so, Father, I now pray that the preaching would be glorifying to you and helpful to your people. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Winston Churchill, who was the Prime Minister of the United States, Kingdom in the early 1940s, and then again in the early 1950s, once said, "Christmas is a season not only of rejoicing but of reflection." Close quote. And there is no question that for the majority of Americans, Christmas is a season of rejoicing. It is a time of joy. In fact, uh, the Daily News, a company based out of Longview, Washington. I published an article this month with the headline, Survey Most Americans Find Joy in the Holiday Season Despite Stress. It really is the most wonderful time of the year for most of us. But if these Americans that were surveyed just a few months ago had been asked to reflect on the reason for their joy, I think we can all come up with a list of those reasons, could we not? It would probably look something like this. It's a time to be with family. A few days extra off of work. Holiday parties. Being naughty in regards to your diet routine and gaining a few extra pounds, right? That's probably what that list would look like. But for those of us who are Christian, there is a deeper level of reflection that ought to inform the reason for why this season is one of joy. Christmas is about Jesus Christ. It is a celebration of his birth. The birth of a baby. A real historical person who was not only born in a miraculous manner, performed miracles during his lifetime, but also accomplished The fulfillment of what the real miracle of Christmas is all about. The pardoning of guilty sinners. And so I want us to look at our text this morning and simply reflect. And see within it the true miracle of Christmas. And so I have divided our text into three headings. The first, a people in common. A people in common. Then, a child unique. And lastly, we will consider a son, the surety. So notice now with me our first heading, a people in common. We read in our text, for to us. Now stop right there. To us. The prophet Isaiah is here writing primarily to a Jewish audience. He was a prophet of God. To Judah as he ministered in and around Jerusalem. And his ministry extended over the reign of four kings of Judah. And so he probably ministered for around 50 plus years. Isaiah is the author of this book. And it is a book in which along with accusing God's people of empty religious ritualism and idolatry. There are a number of prophecies written down of future events that were yet to come, some of which came true even during his own uh, time in ministry, some after, and some still to come. And those fulfilled ones give credibility to the authenticity of his prophetic ministry. For example, we have the record of Isaiah prophesying that one of those four kings, King Hezekiah, who had become mortally ill... Would be healed, and we see in Isaiah chapter 38 that that came to pass. And that account is again corroborated by another author in 2 Kings. Additionally, over a hundred years before the historical event of the Babylonian captivity of the Jews, Isaiah prophesied and recorded in Isaiah chapter 39 that it would come to pass. And yet even more shockingly, almost a century and a half before this event, Isaiah also prophesied the deliverance from that captivity and names the king of Persia that would bring about the deliverance by name, Cyrus, in Isaiah chapters 44 and 45. That's over 150 years before Cyrus was even born. And so while his primary audience is Jewish, prophetically and theologically, it goes deeper than that. You and I can read this text this morning and join with the millions of others for whom this text has applied to for the last 2,700 years. For to us. This text applies to us, a people in common and what is it that we have in common we are a fallen people a sinful race who from birth is alienated from god because of sin romans 3 verses 9 and 12 say all both jew and greeks are under sin none is righteous no not one no one seeks for god no one does good, not even one. And if this is your first time hearing this message that the Bible has for us about the state of humanity, that there is no one who is good, not even one, you might be wondering, how is that true? How is it that no one is good? right? You You see good all around you. You might have good neighbors, good family members. It is Christmas after all. There is so much good that goes on. Random people buying uh, groceries for the person in line with them. Uh, People donating to charities. People going out of their way to make Christmas happen for those who are less fortunate than they. We see what we call goodness all around us. But friend, if this is the first time that you have heard this reality, that there is no one who is righteous. That there is no one who does good. uh, Please bear with me. I want to take a minute to explain this very important point to you. And let me just warn you, it is bad news. It is a hard message to swallow. And it might even make you angry, but let me also encourage you to hang on. To sit tight and listen. Because I am not here to preach fire and brimstone and leave you hanging. I am a minister of the gospel of grace. And grace Peace with God and eternal life is my message. But you must understand why you are in need. You must understand that you too have a terminal illness that I must describe to you. That you must understand, but hold tight because I also have the sweet remedy. The free medicine which will cure you of this disease and the cost of it was paid for by another. So we are a people who have something in common. We are sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God and none of us are good. And there is an objective moral standard by which this reality is measured. And so just very quickly, I want to show you why you stand as an enemy of God in the natural state and show you why you might be in danger as we speak. So just quickly, God has given us his laws Laws which all humans have written in our hearts. They are what tugs on our conscience. You don't have to teach a man that killing is wrong. You don't have to teach a child that lying is wrong. These are things that the Bible says are written in all our hearts. These are the Ten Commandments. The laws of God. And I want you to answer these questions in your own mind as I go down just a few of them. To find out if you have broken these laws. And just another quick disclaimer. I am the chief of sinners amongst the ones that I know. friend. I know my own heart and how deceitful and wicked it is. I am not standing here preaching to you with some pretense that I am better. I have violated these laws personally. And I am as guilty as you perhaps are about to see. That you are as well. And in a church of real Christians. Where we all understand this reality. Friends let me just emphatically say. There is no room. For a better than thou attitude. Amen. So here are some of those commandments. In question form. That's articulated by a preacher named Ray Comfort. And so answer these in your own mind. As I ask them. Have you ever told a lie? If so. That makes you a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Then that makes you a thief. Have you ever used God's name in vain? If so, that is called blasphemy, and it is a very serious thing in the eyes of the Lord. Have you ever looked at a person with lust? If so, then Jesus says that that is adultery in the heart. Even if you're not married, if you look with lust, Jesus says that is adultery. Have you ever hated someone? If so, 1 John 3.15 says that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer at heart. And friend, if you've answered yes to all those five questions, and those just being five of the Ten Commandments, then by your own admission, you are a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer, murderer at heart. And again that is what we all have in common. This is the us whom Isaiah is speaking of in our text. And we have this in common even more so than you might think. James in James 2:10 says, "Whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it." We are guilty as charged and the Bible teaches that God is a judge, and every one of our days is numbered. In Hebrews 9:27 says, "It is appointed for man to die once, and then face judgment." Your death is appointed, and after that you will stand before the judge. And friends, there is a real and literal hell, and everyone who dies in their sins will spend eternity in it. And perhaps you are asking why? Why does sin? carry such a heavy penalty such a long penalty and it is because your sin is being committed against an eternally holy person you see it works the same way even in in our own justice system as a police officer i responded to many fight calls Uh, people just fighting each other assaulting someone for whatever reason So think of it this way, if Bob gets into an argument with Joe and Bob pushes Joe, that's an assault, right? Bob can go to jail for that or get a ticket or even just be given a warning depending on the circumstances and the police just tell Bob and Joe to suck it up and grow up. But even if Bob gets arrested for pushing Joe, he probably wouldn't spend more than just a few hours in jail. But now take that same act, right? Just a simple push. Bob goes up to Joe and pushes him. But this Joe happens to be the current Joe Biden, who is the president of the United States. I can guarantee you that Bob will not be out of jail in just a few hours. And the Secret Service is not just going to give him a warning and say, grow up. He'll probably spend years in federal prison. And you see, that's simply because he assaulted someone of such high stature. Same crime, different punishment, and it is just. Just because of whom the crime was committed against. And that's the reason why just one sin is enough. To condemn us to an eternity of hell, because God is eternally holy; His stature is an eternal one. He is the, al- excuse me, the Alpha and the Omega, He who has no beginning and no end. And so that is the us, a sinful humanity, both Jew and Gentile. And Isaiah expands on that reality later on in chapter fifty-six, in verse, verses six and seven. Uh, we read. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house. The us refers to both Jew and foreigner. So the following promises that we're reading of here in Isaiah chapter 9 aren't just for the Jews. They are for us. And what promises are we talking about here? Notice our second heading, a child unique. A child unique. We read in our text, for to us a child is born. This is the prophecy. This is the promise. These are the very words of God through the prophet that a child was coming. A child who was like no other. Unique in many respects. Turn back to chapter 7 with me. That's just one page back in your pew Bible. This is the child that Isaiah is speaking of. This is the child in Isaiah 9 that is prophesied of a future birth. Look at chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, many have tried to twist the reality of this prophecy so as to get around the fact that it is speaking of Jesus because they can't possibly imagine Allowing room for a category of miracles. They don't want to even allow the possibility in their minds that an exact event of this nature could be perfectly and accurately predicted some 700 years before it took place. Some have tried to say that Isaiah is speaking of his own child, but that literally makes no sense. He is speaking of a virgin as the one giving birth, he's speaking of something miraculous. That was to come. Had it been Isaiah's own child, the mother would not be a virgin. And there was no in vitro fertilization in 700 B.C. And there still wasn't 700 years later around when, uh, around 1 B.C. Uh, when the Virgin Mary became pregnant. Isaiah is speaking of a miracle. A miracle which is not hard to believe in. If you understand the reality that God created this world and everything in it ex nihilo, out of nothing by simply speaking it into existence that is the power of god it is supernatural and this woman who conceived and bore a son though she was a virgin we know was married and isn't it amazing beloved This was written 700 years or so before Mary was even born. And Mary's pregnancy took place during a time in which there had been 400 years of silence from God. No prophets, no new revelation from God for the last 400 years. This was no opportune time in the religious climate of Israel for someone to pretend to be fulfilling a 700-year-old prophecy. That's what's so amazing to me. The timing is so perfect. And we read it this morning in Galatians 4. Right? In the fullness of time. At the perfect time in God's sovereign plan. Had this been a fabrication. It would have been quickly dispelled. And we would not be here today. But this is historical historical fact. We aren't talking fiction here. This is History. Mary, who was a virgin, conceived a real child. But there was something very special about that child. We read here in chapter 7 Shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel literally means God with us. And when we read Shall call his name Emmanuel, that is just one of the title names that this child would be known by. Turn again to chapter 9. Again, Isaiah is is expanding on that prophecy of this child. And here we're told other names that this child would be called by. Look at the rest of verse 6. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The names given to this child, or the name given to this child was Jesus. But some of the titles that he came to be known by are those. Emmanuel, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this prophecy is based on the promise that was first given in the Garden of Eden. Uh, When sin first entered the world, God promised at that point that this very thing would happen. Genesis 3.15 is what we call the Proto-Evangelium, or the first gospel, where God tells us of His plan to bring about reconciliation. He tells Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And through a continued line of prophets, more and more was revealed. And on this day, we celebrate the realization of that prophecy. That Jesus was the promised seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent this is part of the uniqueness of this child he was the one prophesied about he was the victor over the serpent but what does that mean exactly and how is it that a single man who was born of a virgin could bring about redemption could bring about the forgiveness of sins to a people who stand fully convicted and guilty before a holy god well there was something even more unique of this child this child was not only human this child was Emmanuel this child was God with us this child was the second person of the triune God and he humbled himself and took upon himself a human nature he condescended to our lowly estate left the comforts of his royal palace and traded them for the lowly and humble means of but a mere peasant, this child was both God and man, truly God and truly man. Colossians nine says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Impossible for our minds to fully comprehend the reality of that fact, but it was necessary. It was essential to bring about the salvation of a sinful people. And so notice now our third heading. A son, the surety. A son, the surety. This child that was born to us was not just a son of his mother. He was the son. He was the son of God. Luke 1 was read this morning where the angel says to Mary, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the son of god this was no ordinary son this was the son of the most high the son of the almighty and the plan of god to bring about reconciliation for us was to give this child his son not just as our king not just as our god but as our sacrifice and so to us a son is given to us a sacrifice Is provided for. A means of reconciliation. Is made on our behalf. And it is by the giving. Of this son. And note this as well. This son. This giving. Is in the singular. There is only one son. Who is given unto us. Therefore there is only. One singular means of salvation. For there is. No other name under heaven. Given among men. Or by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ the son of this virgin. This son given for us is the only means. By which sinners can be justified before a holy God. Though we are guilty of violating his laws. And that is because this son was given as our sacrifice. He is our surety, Which means he made himself responsible for our debt. And the only way he could have achieved that was by being both God and man. As man, Jesus Christ lived a perfect and obedient life. Never sinned, yet tempted in every way, just as we are. He fulfilled the law. He was righteous. He was the spotless Lamb. And as such, he stood before God on our behalf as our representative. And he willingly, willingly took our debt, the penalty of our sins, which is death. He willingly went to the cross and laid down his life to save a sinful people for his own glory. And out of the abundance of his love. And yes, many things happened to Jesus during his crucifixion. They beat him. They spat on him. They mocked him. But what really happened on that cross is that the son was given. On the cross, Jesus was sacrificing himself. On the cross, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He stood as our representative, and God the Father poured out the penalty of our sin on him instead of on us. God cannot arbitrarily forgive sin. Violations of the law must be punished if a judge is just. And God is a just judge. And so, and so he created these means, <clears throat> this means of re, uh, remaining just by demanding the punishment for the breaking of his law, but allowing us to be set free from that debt by allowing Jesus to stand in our place to suffer the consequences that we were due. So as man, he stood in our place. And I love this question. How could one man pay for the sins of so many? How can one man be enough of a sacrifice in the place of millions, billions of people? Because that one man was worth more than all of those people combined and multiplied by another billion. He was both God and man. As man, he was our representative. And because he was God, himself being of eternal value and worth, his sacrifice was of eternal value and worth. And enough to pay for every single sin that you and I have ever or will ever commit. There is no sin too great. Because there is no sin that is more valuable than the blood of the Son of God. This is how God accomplished our redemption. By remaining faithful to who He is. Just and holy. Romans 5.8 says, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The means for us to be reconciled to God was provided. It was accomplished. And it was done so by this baby who was prophesied about 2,700 years ago. This is the son who was given. This is the child who was born unto us. This is the son, the surety, the Savior. And so now we sinners have a means. You, friend. If you are here today and have not yet known Christ in this way, there is a means of salvation for you. Christ is that mean. This child given, this son, the price has been paid and now there is just one thing that remains. Jesus offers salvation as a free gift. It is yours to have. The only requirement is that you be born again. And What does that mean? Being born again is a supernatural gift of God, where He changes your heart. He opens your eyes to these realities and makes you His own child. He brings you into the family of God. And what you are called to do is to repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sins. Forsake your sinful ways. Get on the narrow path that leads to eternal life. Die to your old self. Pick up your cross and follow Christ. Trust in Him alone for salvation. There is no other way. That is why there is no religion in the world except Christianity. That even makes sense. None other has any logical grounds to stand on. In every other religion, God forgives sin arbitrarily and therefore cannot be God. In other religions, sinful man can obtain their salvation by good works. But as you have heard this morning, before a perfectly holy God... Sinful man can do nothing. We stand guilty as charged. and There is no amount of good works that can justify us or free us from our guilt. A good judge could not just arbitrarily say to a man who has committed murder, I drop your charges because of all the community service that you have done. That crime must be punished. This is the only way that makes sense. A perfect man had to stand in our place and be worthy enough to be our sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. For to us, a child is born. Unto us, a child is given. This is the true miracle of Christmas. We are free. We are freed from our chains of sin because Jesus was willing to die for us, to set us free. And friends, I am not trying to emotionally manipulate you if you are here and are hearing this message and you desire to be pardoned of your sins, there is no magic prayer that I will that will make you saved. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, close your eyes, or walk down the aisle. There is no priest, there is no pastor, there is no person who can popishly declare you forgiven. That is between you and God. Call out to him beg him to save you because only he can and he can and he will everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved Romans ten thirteen, 13 repent and believe the gospel may we all reflect on this true meaning on this true miracle of Christmas, this Christmas day. That we have forgiveness of sin. That we can be reconciled to God. Because for to us, a child was born. And to us, a son was given. Let's pray. And Father, we stand humbled before you. Lord, with that knowledge that we are sinners or that we deserve death, but we rejoice and we give you thanks that you created a way when there was no other way. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his life, his perfect obedience, his willingness to die on a cross, to be treated a sin on our behalf. We thank you for the miraculous gift of conversion. And we pray, Father, that everyone in this room would come to taste of that sweetness. Mm -hmm. Would you change hearts? And for us that are partakers, would you increase that delight in that reality? Mm -hmm. And make us more and more like Christ.